and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey, Justin, this is the second part of our two-part series with Amazon. Well, you know, I've been really looking forward to the next part, and here we go. Hopefully, all the listeners are just as excited as I am. Here we go with Amazon Web Services Part 2. Well, you know that Amazon Web Services is one of the founding members of what I think you're referring to is the Open Subsurface Data yes. Universe. It really is an attempt to standardize and provide access not just for the, for the super majors, but also for the independents, and really come up with a platform, a harmonized platform, where people can easily and readily share information without being held hostage to all kinds of proprietary protocols. Yeah, and we're very proud to have been a partner of that, and actually leading again that, that thought leadership in our industry. Yeah. And we will see more of those kinds of collaborative sharing entities emerge as we go towards the future where we are trying to reduce that inefficiency, right? And truly identify what makes a company unique, where do they add value? And we are shifting away from trying to do everything inside one company and are much more open to collaborate. And in the data sphere, as Arno said, there's much greater value in collaborating at one level so that you can decide what's the insight you get from that data that allow you to differentiate rather than trying to create these silos. And no one is actually benefiting when you have these silos. And we have learned that in other industries, and this will begin to accelerate even greater data sharing and interoperability as we come out of this crisis and put in place the trajectories of transformation. Yeah, and I just want to highlight, I think what people don't realize that we are, whether we're willing or unwilling participants in this fourth industrial revolution that is happening as we speak. And I think one of the hallmarks of that fourth industrial revolution is the fusion, the fusion of technologies. It's the ability to bring all these different domains together, and it really fosters that collaboration and that sharing of information as we see going going forward. Well, I'd like to add to that too, actually. I mean, before Oxy bought Anadark, they actually built a team specifically to basically identify technologies throughout the world that had nothing to do with oil and gas. And I was actually fortunate enough to meet the gentleman who led that team. And they pulled people from all over the world to solve problems that they had never seen before in oil and gas, but had the skill set to evaluate and analyze things on a completely different level through a completely different lens. You know, for an example, I think they pulled a gentleman out of Brazil who was a private investigator who developed some technology to evaluate mud logs at a rate that far surpassed what they were doing historically. And so I think being able to take companies and technology from outside oil and gas is something that we really need to emphasize and be open to having that change and having people that don't necessarily have, you know, the operational or the traditional skill set in oil and gas to help take us to the next level. I mean, you look at what did Uber do for transportation? What did Airbnb do for how we you know, take vacations? What is going to be the next step for oil and gas to completely catapult ourselves and become you know, a leader in the world, not only at you know, producing hydrocarbons, but becoming you know, digital energy companies to help solve solutions for the world? Yeah, it's a great analogy, Justin. 
when I look back on when I started many years ago, I remember my operations manager actually telling me, this was the onset when we had email coming to, to the office. And his point of view was that, hey, on our drilling rigs, we don't need computers. We don't need email on the drilling rigs. We'll stick with our telexes at the time. And we've seen, of course, that nowadays we cannot run a rig without computers, without these modern, these modern technologies. And if you really think about what would it mean for the next step, and we're already seeing that happening in real life, we are seeing well engineers using machine learning, state-of-the-art technology to analyze both structured and unstructured daily drilling reports and actually looking back at a whole host of wells, maybe 10, 50, 100 or 1,000 wells and really extract the real insights that come from that machine learning that they are able to do by extracting the information from all that data and really drive not just operational efficiency, but more importantly, safety and also as an end result, I think best-in-class wells. So we're seeing this transition from an industry where we didn't even have computers on the rig to having computers as being an integral part of being able to execute our operation. And now we're actually seeing the combination where we are adding the human intellect with the unlimited powers that we now have uh, in our compute to really drive these innovations, for instance, as I said, around, around machine learning to analyze drilling reports. And I want to highlight one aspect, which is the kind of talent that may be required to truly take advantage of the kinds of functionality that Arno is talking about, right? Just like every industry is competing to attract talent that will have subject area understanding and the state-of-the-art tools, right? What we will see in this industry is hopefully becoming an attractive industry for the talent to come in to solve the problems that you just said, right? Uber is solving the transportation problem. Airbnb is solving the travel problem. What we need is smart engineers coming in to solve the energy problem. And the tools are available, the functionality is available. So let's not forget that we need really smart humans to work with these powerful machines in order to solve the problem that neither humans or machines can do by themselves. And that to me is gonna be something that I would watch as this industry goes through the next phase of transformation coming out of this reset. Well, you know, I'd like to add to that. And something I always like to say is chaos breeds innovation. And now is probably the most chaotic times. And, and I think in all chaotic times, companies have emerged from the darkness. Likewise, I'm extremely excited to see who, who comes and capitalizes on this opportunity for everything. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you're talking about human capital. As an industry, we're now competing with the Amazons and the Googles of the world for top talent and not picking on Amazon. I'm just saying that if I'm a kid right out of college and I have a choice between going to work for an oil and gas company and going to work for Amazon Web Services, I'm probably going to lean that way. And as an industry, we need to flip that on its head because we need access to the same type of top talent, especially technical talent that the rest of the world has access to. So, you know, as one of the things I want to hopefully happen as we come through this event, this double black swan event is cultures hopefully will change so that we can attract these young people to our industry. You know, it's the same issue for the automotive industry, right? If, you know, automotive industry needs software, data, and analytics engineers as much as any other industry, but would you rather go work for Tesla or, or would you work for GM, right? And so as GM starts attracting these people to come to work for, for GM and Ford tries to do that with various acquisitions, we will see the same thing happening in the energy sectors to say, 
Do you want to go solve a problem in some other industry or can you really come and solve a fundamental problem in energy which has impact on the environment? But we need the energy for the growth of the economy, especially as we come out of this that is clean and efficient and sustainable. So there's a wonderful chance for us to attract the next generation talent to this industry. Yeah, and I'm just going to make a plug for it. I'm actually going to quote what Jeff Miller, the CEO of Halliburton, said. I'm just going to paraphrase his Q1 analyst statement. Jeff Miller actually said that he's never been more convinced that digital is the future. The next frontier of digital solutions will help drive efficiencies in a workforce and reduce capital investment. So that is an insight from a true industry leader that really recognizes the change, the transformation that we're going through and how digital can play a role in that. And what we are seeing on our end is that interest. And it's just evidence from the amount of job opportunities that we have open in our Amazon Web Services portal. So uh, plug for all <laughs> people that are interested uh, in joining Amazon Web Services. But it is on, on that intersection of technology and having domain expertise. I think you cannot do one without the other. I think we, you do need some, some domain expertise and then using all the tools you have to our disposal. So Arnold, 100% agree. It's, you know, I deal with the tech companies all the time and I've done it for a long time. My career basically was selling technology and oil and gas for 25 years. And so one of the things that happens with some tech companies is they have great smart people and great solutions to problems, but they don't understand our industry. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody show you a really cool app that could count joints of pipe out in the field? And then you have to remind them that number one, you can't have your phone on a well site unless it's an intrinsically safe device. Number two, there's probably no connectivity you know, out in the middle of West Texas. And that's just a gap in there having that domain expertise. It's one of the cool things I love about partner with Amazon is y'all have that domain expertise. I mean, you have that, you've been offshore, you've been in the North Sea, you know, and it's just cool to see an intersection of understanding of our industry and then also understanding the new high-tech world. Yeah. And as, as Venk had said before, I think it's the real value, the synergy really comes in, in the ability to augment smart humans with this incredible technology that we have nowadays. It's not one or the other. It has to be finding that, that synergy and actually leveraging both of them, which does require the domain expertise going forward. Right. You know, what I was saying was you could be an expert in music and have data and AI tell you about which music people listen to along with other music. But when it comes to things like energy or healthcare, you need the combination of functional domain knowledge and what can digital technologies do to truly solve the problem. Because it's not as simple as trying to understand the music graph or the social graph or the search graph. This is truly understanding problem solving at very complex levels. And I hope that we will be able to attract talent that comes in that brings their curiosity to solve the problem, but also has the relevant skills to be able to work with these wonderful machines and technologies that are available now. Well, the cool thing about the tech, from what I've seen, especially on the upstream side of the house, is it actually lets engineers be engineers. You know, you go talk to a reservoir engineer or a petroleum engineer that's working in the industry and they spend a lot of their time searching for data and then cleaning up data. It's almost always in an Excel spreadsheet and they don't spend a whole bunch of time actually doing engineering on the reservoir, right? And so the machine is great at finding that data, making sure it's clean and then giving it to the employee so they can do their job and it makes it easier for them to do their job. Yeah, I'll just reflect on my own history as a production engineer being responsible to monitor over 2,000 wells 
Well, everybody who's been in this industry trying to monitor and optimize 2,000 whales know you're probably only going to be looking at a, at a handful of whales every every day. And as you said, it is the, the hardest part is actually getting access and having access to data. I remember having to go to, uh, to the central well file room, getting well files that were probably 20, 30 years old, having telexes in there, trying to, to dissect where did we find the reservoir, which reservoirs did we already perforate. Having that data available on an analytics platform and actually ingesting all the data, whether it's structured or unstructured, that allows you now with the onset of these new technologies, for instance, like software as a service, to run an analytics platform on top of that, which is able to truly monitor 2,000 whales and really give you the cutting edge insight and what's happening with your whales on a day-by-day basis. Yeah, and it's the collaboration part, I think, is also really cool. When you have this data, when you take it out of a file cabinet, you digitalize it, you put it in the cloud somewhere, now collaboration with your team is so much easier. And to something we spoke about in the very beginning about people working remote, this is a way for you to have that information you need to do your job no matter where you are. Yeah, and I think it's that transformation. And we've seen it already with with some of our customers that work in completely different geographies, really requiring people to collaborate in a different, different way. It is no longer the geophysicist being locked down behind his very expensive workstation doing the horizon picking. We can actually do this now on the couch, on your iPad. And I think that is such a fundamental change to actually do this remotely. But as you also said, now also having that same platform available to collaborate and collaborate in real time doing that. Yeah. And, you know, this is leading up to what's number four in the paper y'all authored. But I really want to spend a little bit of time about realigning external relationships because the way we've done business in this industry is not going to work in the future. And we have to change. We talked a little bit about it, but can we go a little bit deeper about, you know, how and why do you realign those relationships, those business relationships in oil and gas? I'll let Venkat address it from an academic point of view, and then I'll try to to share what we are seeing already happening and what is available today. Yeah. So in my research, looking at a whole range of industries, I want to differentiate between the partners that help us optimize today and I want to differentiate that from partners that help me get to where I want to go tomorrow. One are execution ecosystems. The other ones are innovation or transformation ecosystems. Companies are very good at managing relationships that have very strict performance metrics and make today's profits happen. They've got protocols. They know how to select the partners. They've got processes to manage the partnership. Sometimes they take the same partner and get into innovation and transformation and they use the same old protocols because this is what I have done with you and I don't have not made a mental switch that I'm asking you to co-innovate with me where the future is unknown, but I'm still relying on the old performance metrics or asking you to go back and talk to my procurement organization rather than really think of this as strategic alliances or you know, transformation partners. So the first thing we need to do is really separate between implementation partners and innovation partners. And the second and an important part of our discussion with this digital energy space is to separate between business partners and technology partners. Some are very good with technology, but they don't have an understanding of what's happening in the business. And so this entity, the digital energy company of the future, is really orchestrating these different capabilities. 
So I look at these companies as a portfolio of capabilities assembled through relationships. Some are inside, some are outside. Some are helping me achieve today's profit. Some are helping me create tomorrow's opportunities and options as we look at alternative futures. So they help me experiment. They don't help me actually execute. They'll help me experiment, but I'll go and figure out a different company to work with once I know which experimentation is going to work. So it's really thinking through the network orchestration role at the intersection of multiple types of partners providing different set of skills rather than think of one set of partners and one set of skills because that will really stifle creativity in looking at ecosystems as nothing more than extensions of the current organization form. So Venkat, I've never thought about it that way, but I love that approach to look at it as both who you're doing business with, who do you want as partners, but who actually helps you innovate. And they may not be the same people, may not be the same companies. I love thinking about how you frame that. That's really cool. Well, let me add to that. And I think the reason why Amazon Web Services is in this this industry, because I think we are trying to help on, on both sides of that coin. We do see, and particularly now, a lot of our customers reaching out to us and say, how can you help us in the near term? How can you help us with this ability to help us drive down our cost. So we're having discussions around being able to migrate a lot of their on-prem data to the cloud. We're happy to actually take a stake in that and actually help that transition. So that is in the real near term, helping to reduce cost really as a business partner. And then, of course, I think what we do really want to focus on is our ability to help us our customers innovate. Yeah, Looking better at what, what Amazon and Amazon Web Services has done over the last 13 years, it truly is around a different way of looking at, at innovation. So I think we are able to, to help, not just with the immediate needs, but being a business partner to help reduce some of your costs, in particular when you talk about your on-prem IT infrastructure, but also helping with tools, technologies, and more importantly, mechanisms, how to innovate and actually drive that future that uh, the Venkat was talking about. So Arno, you're really saying that Amazon can be both your implementation partner and an innovation partner, but they have to basically manage it as two separate activities, right? Because otherwise, whoever is dealing with Amazon will have to recognize that in one case, you're really partnering with Amazon to create the future. In other case, you're really partnering with Amazon to reduce the cost of operations. Um, yeah, and, that's and, a very powerful idea. Yeah, and we are, we're seeing that. So when I look at the relationship that we have in the industry, a lot of relationships really are built on the, what I would call the traditional way, where it starts off with the IT organizations, which are really seen as a cost center. Their mission in life is to maximize the availability of the IT infrastructure and drive down cost. And I think we can really help with that. I think that has been at the inception of, of, of Amazon and Amazon Web Services. That is normally how we help our customers. And then we normally transition to the line of business where the line of business realizes, hey, there is much more behind just the provision of that infrastructure. It's the ability to use all these fantastic tools to really innovate and drive that next opportunity for our business. And just, just to highlight that as, as where we are in our, in our industry, when we talk about how do we help to innovate, we talked about it earlier around uh, the scenario planning, Venkat, yeah? We do see that at the moment there is a true opportunity to really drive 
the self-optimizing fields. Yeah, a concept that was claimed by uh, Professor Economides about probably even a, a decade ago, thinking about how do we drive self-optimizing oil fields by using the data, the sensors that we have available to to do it. Maybe ten years ago, the technology wasn't ready for for prime time. Mm-hmm. Now yes. that now that is available, and now we can do that whole enterprise optimization, that reservoir optimization, or even that well optimization, not just in real time, but do it in real time, but also do it on a continuous basis. And I think that is, when we talk about change and innovation, that is where we think the future will go. Arno, but you know, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I've watched it happen. I mean, Shell was talking digital off-field in the early 2000s, and we're, we're getting there. But this also applies to other parts of the industry. It also applies to the midstream part of the industry, you know, new pipelines, new technology pipelines, and downstream as well. Yeah, 200% correct, and thank you for correcting me. When I talk about our industry, I talk about the entire value chain. I talk about the upstream part, finding the hydrocarbons, bringing them to the surface. But then, of course, the other part is is the midstream, making sure we do have, for instance, the asset integrity, making sure that we are able to optimize and using, for instance, machine learning to distribute through pipeline and pipeline systems, making sure it gets to the right markets. It's also helping our customers in the downstream part, not just with asset integrity, but also making sure that we are bringing the right products to the right markets at the right the right point in time. And there's a whole host of technologies that are already there, that are out there to do it. And then the final step, of course, is where we're also helping our customers is when you pump your gas. Yeah, How can we make sure that that also is a much better experience for everybody involved in the process? So yeah, it is indeed the entire value chain. And I think that is the unique part. When we look at our industry, it is all interconnected. You cannot just optimize your reservoir, which is great. But the real value comes in if you optimize your reservoir, optimize your seismic, optimize your well drilling, and then the distribution and all the other steps that follow up behind it. That's where the true value resides. And I want to go back to something that Justin said earlier that I think fits right here perfect. You know, companies need to look outside of the oil and gas industry. Things like predictive maintenance. The airlines figured that out in the 70s. You know, we're still doing planned maintenance in this industry and we have the tools and the processes. They're there. And I think when you're looking at, you know, this part of the process, when you're looking at different relationships and, you know, whether you have people help you run your business or people help you plan for the future, this is also the great time to look outside of oil and gas and look at other industries and other companies that normally maybe you wouldn't have interfaced with because we can all learn something. Yeah. And with all due respect to the airline industry and flying myself an awful lot, But the preventive maintenance issue in the airline industries is a heck of a lot easier than it is in oil and gas. The beauty for the airline industry that an airplane will land after 10 or 12 hours and you have direct access to an engine. When we deploy a deep water system or a deep water manifold, unfortunately, when it's down there, it's going to be down there for 30 years. So it actually changes the challenge that we have. But we are using those lessons. We are using the algorithms, the preventive maintenance. But I think the challenge that we have could be even bigger in our industry. I don't want to get on a tangent, but I love that subsea world. If, if anybody's listening to this and they think oil and gas is not high tech, go just Google high pressure, high temperature, deep water, and look at the stuff that we build. To Arno's point, they'll drop a tree down or a manifold or plet, and that thing has to design for some of the roughest environmental conditions you can think of. And it has to run itself for 10 years without a single failure. It has to be a zero defect product. And, and we act like that's normal, but it is really cool. It's really you know, it's a hats off to the engineers that design and implement those sort of things. But it also highlights our ability of our industry to, to innovate. And I know we started at the beginning of that. Is our industry 
willing and ready to change. And I think this is a fantastic example where you just highlight our ability to innovate. So I am very optimistic when I look at the future that we will be able to survive this crisis. More importantly, I think if we do this right, and we do have the methodology that we laid out with Venkat, that we can actually come out of this crisis stronger, better, and more prepared for the future, no matter what the future will throw at us. You know, that is such a great thought. I think we may just end this interview here on that note, because I agree with you. I think, unfortunately, there's going to be some pain coming out of this, but when we come out of here, we're going to come out as a much better industry, much leaner, much more operationally efficient, and just, you know, we just need to get through it. So we're going to make sure whenever the audience is listening to this, Justin's audience or my audience, we're going to make sure there's a link in the show note to this paper. This is extremely well written. I love that it's written from the oil and gas industry's point of view. If you're a company or a person out there and you're looking at ways to help come out of this downturn, this double black swan event, go check this out. Amazon's given away for free. It's an easy read and it's real actual steps in here. Good. So let me maybe let, let me add up with a final parting comment that Andy Grove, a visionary businessman, once said, he said, bad companies are destroyed by crisis. Good companies can survive them. Great companies are improved by them. Love that. Hey, Justin, give you a little shout out to your sponsor, and I'm going to do one for the tech show as well. Most certainly. Well, I definitely want to give a big shout out to TechNip FMC. They've done a fantastic job throughout this downturn, and they're actually doing some really neat things. So I encourage the listeners, for whatever part of the value chain you are in oil and gas, go check them out. But again, a big thank you to Technic FMC. Yeah, and a shout out to Nutanix. Nutanix enables IT teams to build and operate highly automated private hybrid clouds. Plus, they're just cool people. So they're the sponsor of the tech show. Go check them out if you have an interest in that. We're also going to put links in the show notes, Arnold and Venkat, to your LinkedIn profiles if anybody wants to actually reach out to you personally. And then obviously, we'll put a link to Amazon Energy Services. Uh, Venkat, do you want us to send people to your university or just send them to your LinkedIn profile? The LinkedIn profile is just fine. Thank you so much. Yeah. So folks, all those links will be in the show notes, depending on whether you're Android, iOS, either swipe up or left and just, you can just click on it. Well, Venkat and Arnold, we certainly appreciate your time and all the efforts you've put into putting this paper together and, and just your willingness to help our industry as someone who's been in it for years and, you know, someone who's, you know, relatively young in the industry. I have multiple lifetimes to go and I couldn't be more excited on this pivotal moment here in time. And again, want to certainly thank you guys for everything you've done. Well, it's a fantastic opportunity. And we really want to thank the Oil & Gas Network for helping us spread the word. I think we started off with doom and gloom. And I hope that when people listen to this, this podcast, they do realize that there is a great opportunity to come out stronger and better and actually be prepared for the future, whatever that might hold. Dude, Justin, man, this has just been a lot of content. We're actually putting this both on the onshore show and on the tech show as well, because we thought it was that relative for both offices. But thank you so much for joining me and helping me uh, this interview with Amazon Web Services. I just thought it was awesome stuff. Yeah, likewise, and uh, certainly appreciate all the listeners listening in and appreciate Amazon Web Services for what all they're doing in the oil and gas industry. Thanks again, everybody. And we will see you later. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. 
So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.